Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. So just a quick question. What do you think of that tagline? Is it too cheesy? I am a cheesy guy, but... You know, I just want to know what people think of it. I'd really love to hear your opinions. You can email us at podcast at flowartist.com or why don't you search for us on Facebook? We have a group there. We'd love to hear from you. So just another update on our studio. It is so close now. All we really need is electricity to go in there. It's quite important. The builder finished up yesterday and we also did some work in the garden. They cleared out all the mess in our backyard. So Joe and I spent some time in the garden. We really powered through it and it looks really beautiful. It's bringing the garden into Garden of Yoga. We want it to be almost like a sanctuary, a nice peaceful place right in the middle of the bustling city. We're really looking forward to having this space. There are so many opportunities to use it. I want to do some more on the podcast in there, perhaps produce some video content. We want it to be a space for meetups as well as teaching classes for yoga. Joe teaches anti-gravity yoga. There'll be room for about 10 hammocks, 15 or so yoga mats, pretty close together. It's only a small space and we really want it to be a space where yoga teachers can come together, perhaps talk about their experiences and we might even put that on the podcast. So I'm just throwing a lot of ideas out there, but it's really exciting to me. I I just cannot wait to get this happening. All right, so that is enough of a shameless plug for our studio, it is time to announce the winner of our competition. Of course, the competition is to win a copy of Connecting Conscious Communication for Yoga Teachers and Therapists by Lucy Kanani and Jill Danks. Lucy was kind enough to give us a copy of the book to give away and we got quite a few good entries there and I will read out the winner, which is Joan Coots, and she says, I sometimes let the students have the floor to express their ideas to the others. If I introduce a few minutes of philosophy in class, I'll give the students a chance to make comment or relate the topic to their personal experiences if time allows. Everyone needs to feel significant and to be heard. The topic will usually take on a deeper meaning through group input. Alternatively, a student could set the intention for class from time to time. The circle of communication creates a sense of community where each person is valued. This gives them a chance to shine their light forward. Namaste. That is beautiful. So we will send out a copy to you. I will get in touch with you via email soon. So congratulations, Joan Coots. And I also wanted to make special mention of Carvey's answer, which is fantastic. She says, I'm always speaking directly from the heart as I think it's so important to be open and connect to whoever we are talking to. The fine balance is staying open without giving too much of yourself away, keeping barriers in place that still allow for a genuine connection without feeling drained. Fantastic answer there. All right, so on to today's episode. Today we are speaking with Nicole Lee. Nicole is the owner of Chi Space, a Chi Gong and meditation studio in Balaclava, Melbourne. She is a teacher of Chi Gong and meditation. I'm a big fan of Chi Gong myself. I love the gentle flowing movements and I feel that they're easily integrated into a yoga or meditation class. 
As Nicole mentions in this conversation, it's a practice that's accessible for nearly everyone, so I think it is a useful tool to have in your yoga or meditation tool bar. In this conversation, we learn about how Nicole went from living a busy life, working in real estate in Dubai, to find her true calling running a Qigong studio in Melbourne. We learn what Qigong is and the differences between traditional and integrative Qigong. We learn about the sensory and sound meditation workshops that Nicole facilitates, and Nicole tells us a few of her self-care and business strategies that help her run her studio as effectively as possible. So that is way too much of me talking. Let's get on to the conversation. So thanks for meeting with us today, Nicole Lee. It's fabulous to have you here. Uh, perhaps we could start, as we do in all our episodes, um, with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Yeah, right. I grew up in Latrobe Valley, actually. So Morwell, I spent the first 19 years of my life there. And then I came to Melbourne. So I saw that you've actually done quite a bit of outdoor leadership and travel like in South America and all around the world. Is that what you came to Melbourne for? No, actually, I got into real estate when I was 19 and that was my career for 15 years. And I ended up in Dubai at the end of that period. And then I realized that I really needed to change my life. I felt like I was just sort of existing. I wasn't really living. So my job was rewarding financially, but not really rewarding in a inspirational, exciting kind of way. So I just decided to let go of that. And I packed up all my stuff, sent it back here to Australia, sold a whole heap of stuff, and then just went backpacking in South America for, I don't know, eight months, I think it was, or nine months. And that's where I just like kind of rediscovered my interest in the outdoors my appreciation for hiking and exploring and that's kind of what got me into doing the outdoor leadership stuff and then how did you discover qigong from there well yeah not related at all when i came back to australia after that sort of stint of travel and that stint in work i was doing some emotional healing to do with my childhood with this woman who's a shaman And we had been seeing each other regularly and I'd been working on all this stuff. And one day she just said to me, Nicole, I think you should try Qigong. I think you'd really like it. And my response was, I don't know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) So I just went home and Googled it. And that was my first introduction to Qigong. So I came across this guy, Lee Holden. You might be aware of him. He's quite famous in the States. He teaches this sort of modern integrative form that I teach. That's where I learned it. So I came across him on YouTube and I just started watching and doing some Qigong at home and just thought, yeah, I do really like this. Did you get to go to any in-person classes before you did your teacher training or what led you to decide to teach? Um, Well, what actually happened was I had this business that I had started that was taking people walking and I developed these relationships with community centres and I used to do the walking sort of through community centres. And after I'd been doing Chigong at home by myself for a while, I just one day just said, hey, do you think that you guys would be interested in having Qigong class here at the community centre? And two or three of them said yes. And I kind of went, oh, okay. And then I sort of realised that I needed to do something because I'd obviously just been doing it myself. Like I didn't have any real training or anything. And so I actually started just straight away. I just 
went with what I'd learned so far off the internet. And then I enrolled in a teacher training with Tai Chi Fitness Australia that's in Sydney. And I did that. It was like a distance slash in-person kind of setup. But that was classical Qigong. So that wasn't sort of so it wasn't the, the style you've been practicing. Yeah, it wasn't like Lee Holden's kind of like approach to it. So I just kept going and I kept teaching these few classes and I kept getting more and more into it. And then I just thought, I'm going to have to go to the, like meet this guy. I'm going to have to go and do, I obviously found out that he did teacher training. And so the next year, it was maybe about eight months later, I went and did his first, my first stint over there doing teacher training. Could you take us through some of the differences between that integrative style and traditional style? Yeah, so integrative really just means modern. It means a modern approach to Qigong. And basically what you're doing is you're taking movements from all different traditional forms. So there's there's hundreds, potentially thousands of movements from tradition traditional classical forms and you're really what you're doing is just making them a little easier like so classical qigong is very very precise and intricate and choreographed and quite rigid right and very very slow so with integrative qigong it's maybe a little quicker i my i find that my teaching has become slower and slower right but generally it's a little faster and it's a little easier and instead of it being a set sequence, there's kind of more flexibility. You can be more creative when you're programming your classes. So that that's kind of the main differences. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I was wanting to ask you about, actually, because within, say, the world of yoga, there's all these different styles and mm-hmm. different teachers have quite different approaches. Yeah. And I was wondering how diverse... Qigong was in terms of different styles? Well, there's hundreds of forms of Qigong. And so basically classical Qigong tends to come from like family lineage, right? So all these different families in China had their forms of Qigong. And they'd over generations, there'd be sort of variations that would start to occur. For example, one form it's one of the most uh, one of the easier classical forms. It's called Badojin or eight sections of brocade. Usually, there's several names for different movements and different forms. But that form I learned when I did my original teacher training with Tai Chi Fitness. And then last year when I went to China, my master who I met in China, Master Wang, he wanted to teach me that form, and I was a bit like, "Oh, I don't really want to do that. I've already done it, and I, I didn't really love it." Yeah, and he's like, "No, like- do it, do it. We'll do it." you have to do it. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll do it. And I loved it. His is a slight, slightly different. I can see the similarities between the, the two forms. Like they're very similar, but there's just this little, it's like the lineage is slightly different. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And do you think maybe just his way of instructing it made it click more? I or? think that the teacher or the master is important. Yeah. I didn't really resonate with that first. And maybe also I think that I wasn't ready for classical Qigong then. So what in my experience, what I'm finding is that lots of people drop out of classical Qigong. So quite often people sign up for a course because you can only really learn classical Qigong in a course format. You can't just drop in yeah. classical Qigong, right? There's so too you, many details. Yeah, you've got to – because it's very – it's all about the precision and the detail and the – 
getting it exact, like it's a practice of mastery. The idea is that every repetition you're trying to really master and get it perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the same in integrative, but it's just a slightly different approach to it. So quite often people drop out of classical. So I think I wasn't really ready for classical when I did that first teacher training. I didn't really resonate with it. Whereas now, I don't know, maybe it's just experience. But what I find is quite often people will come to integrative for a period and then they'll then they'll start to get really curious about the classical form. They'll start to ask questions about it and want to know more about it. And they, it's like it's like integrative chewing is like this doorway. It's like entry level kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it's just really accessible which, for people. Which is what I love about it because I feel like Qigong – especially in Australia, is it's much less popular here in Australia than it is in the States. And I just feel like it's the exercise. In terms of a physical exercise, anyone can do it. I do it with five-year-olds. I do it with people aged from young adults. My oldest student is 79 years old. So anyone can do it. That's what I love about it. Whereas with yoga, although I love it, it's not accessible for a lot of older people. Like the idea of getting down on the ground, it's just not possible for them. So the integrative approach I really love because I just feel like it's really inclusive. Like one of our like really great experiences with Qigong was actually at the Gola retreat, which oh, yeah, was a retreat yeah, yeah. for people recovering from cancer. Mm-hmm. Many people there still had cancer yeah. and everyone in that group could still get something yes, out of the Qigong exactly. session. Yeah. And that was a group of people where in even just the listening parts of it, like some people needed more support. Some people mm. needed to be on the floor and have more blankets and needed mm. a lot of support, and that's just sitting in a chair. Yeah. So it really but it speaks to Qigong and its accessibility yeah. that people who are that ill still could benefit from it. Absolutely. And there's lots of cases where Qigong has been used for people suffering from a serious illness to help to The idea in Chinese medicine is that when your energy is flowing, then you have good health. So if you have some serious illness, you want to get your energy flowing. So there's the seated practices that are more gentle for someone that's very sick. And then there's, you know, obviously for someone with more chronic illness, it's more about getting yourself really not just energetically, but physically moving getting the qi moving. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the connection between qigong and Chinese medicine. Qigong is considered like the exercise therapy of Chinese medicine. So this is a story that I've been told, and I'm not sure about validity, I haven't checked, but I've been told that qigong used to be considered first in the therapeutic order of traditional Chinese medicine. So usually traditional medicines have a therapeutic order and same with naturopathy and Ayurveda and stuff like that. So there's an order of treatment. So Qigong used to be number one. So you go see your Chinese doctor and he'd you know, see what was going on and then you go, okay, you go, go home, do these movements and then come back in two days or whatever or do this breath work or do this meditation. And then when you came back, they'd, then if you were still sick or if you weren't improving, then you might get acupuncture or have some herbs prescribed to you. But that wasn't the first thing that happened. It was the approach of you heal yourself, right? Everyone has this innate healing capacity and so just tapping into that and getting the body to do what it knows how to do Mm. and I guess even from a western medical perspective learning a practice that helps you deal with stress even the most hardline materialist doctors would say yes like reduce your stress levels and then your immune system functions better so so the premise of Chinese medicine the underlying premise is that all disease is caused by tension 
And so you think of tension as mental, physical, emotional, and releasing tension. So the purpose of Qigong is releasing tension. Interesting. Just to go back to the classical Qigong, I enrolled in a a course a few years back. I didn't really know a lot about that style at the time, but on reflection, it does seem to have been a very classical style. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being almost rigid and I was actually putting a lot of energy into perfecting, you know, someone to come around. you getting a bit tense? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, part of what I've enjoyed about practicing Qigong in other circumstances that it's very light and flowing yes. and, and gentle. Sort of interesting that it's evolved in that way. Yeah, and I guess there's a couple of other things I like to, to talk about in terms of the differences, like in, it just in connection to our lifestyles. So a lot of people don't want to spend hundreds of hours perfecting their movement practice. You know, classical Qigong is the practice of mastery mm. and in the beginning when you're fir- you're first learning it is quite intense trying to remember all of the intricate details and the order of the movements and keep being present keeping yourself present with it is quite challenging mm. but what i notice is that once that part of the learning is done then there's more kind of lightness mm-hmm. experience of lightness But what becomes the challenge is keeping your presence because when you know the movements, like the physical movements, then your mind will just go off and wander and Mm, think about your shopping. And also with the classical Qigong, if your mind or when your mind does wander, you'll notice that you're not doing the movements at that level of precision that you would have been taught right so that there's really interesting sort of aspects to the practice and the other thing is integrative qigong is more about the experience of qigong so you come for an hour or an hour and 15 or whatever whatever the class is and you have this experience of as you describe like a lightness like a release you generally feel more relaxed. You know, sometimes it can bring up other emotions. Like quite often people will have an emotional release. They might start crying or they might just, you know, let go of some mental tension. And it's not necessarily all rainbows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's for the experience of that hour. And a lot of people are so busy. That is what they want. They want to come to a class for an hour and feel that softness and that release and that flow and feel better, you know, ultimately just feel better. Well, if you're like mentally exhausted from your work day, you don't necessarily have the capacity to That's right. do some more study. Yeah. And also I, I think with the classical Qigong, the, the really the reason for learning something like that would be to do your own practice of it. Mm. Otherwise, what, what really is the point? Well, I mean, actually, I was wondering if, um, you know how you're saying precision is a really key element. Mm-hmm. Is that because it's working on meridians and yes, acupressure yes, points? Like yes. that's the rationale for That's correct, yes. And you really notice when you're doing a movement correctly, it feels right. I quite often with the classical stuff – Part of it, not in the beginning of the course, but towards the end of the course, is me correcting people's movements and making sure they were doing it precisely. And lots of people say, oh, God, that feels better. Just with some little, you know, I notice they're not really straight. They're kind of twisted or their hips are twisted or they're they're doing something weird with your hand or whatever it is. But in saying that, I also want to say that 
integrative Qigong has just as many benefits as the classical form. Well, it almost seems like that natural progression you were talking about of people starting with integrative and then kind of realising they want to go deeper and learn those deeper details. Yeah. That just kind of makes sense. Yeah. A lot of people are like that. They they just, it, it, I call them chi junkies. <laughs> people get all like addicted to the, because you feel really good. You know, you just feel centered you have this sense of clarity and alignment and you are really embodied feel really connected to yourself on various levels so people want to feel that more and more and more and more who would want to feel that that sounds great exactly and especially there's a lot of people that come to my class that have never really experienced that before and once they start experiencing it they're like this is so great no, I want mm. more of this. Especially when there doesn't seem to be a lot of physical barriers to the movement. Like you don't have to be very strong. You don't have to be very flexible. Mm. You know, you could do it in a chair. Yeah. It's funny though because it looks quite easy, but it's not necessarily as easy as it looks. Like I, I mm. recently had a student say, that was much harder than I thought it was going to be. Well, even just holding your arm up in the air for a while gets yeah. tiring and surprisingly we, quickly. We do lots of shoulder and arm related stuff because this is, tends to be the area that people get the most stagnant energy, particularly our lifestyles is the main cause of a lot of that. But also we hold a lot of emotion in our chest, in our back, around our heart. So you get quite rigid and tense in that area. So lifting the arms and moving the arms around can be not as easy as it looks if you're not used to doing it. And you think about people that are elderly, a lot of them can't lift their arms up. And it's part of it's just that stagnant energy. But the other part is they're just not lifting their arms up anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's chronic lack of movement that's caused them to become so stiff and rigid that they're unable to move in that area. Mm, um, I've done like a bit of Pilates training to work with older people as well. And a lot of what I've learned from that is how much of that kind of comes from fear because people are like maybe feeling like they're losing their balance a little bit, yes. then they don't want to walk around as much and then their balance gets worse because they're not walking yes, around exactly, as much. So exactly. it's so great to have something mm. that is accessible mm. for people and like they probably can get a lot of that range of motion back if it's just from underuse. Yeah, and it's amazing the physical changes that people notice. More of a sustained practice rather than just coming once or twice. But I have several students that have been with me for years now and the lady I mentioned before that's she's turning 80 in a, a next month or the month after and her physio or her actually I think it was an osteo said to her, what have you been doing Maureen? Your shoulder's so much better. And so she raves about it. She just comes to everything. She's oh, right so into nice. it. Yeah. And, you know, and in terms of balance and your ability to do things, you've got to do them. You know, if you don't start doing them, you're not going to improve in that area for example a new student of mine found it difficult to bend down like we usually stand on a mat when we practice because the floors in my studio are quite hard they're mostly concrete and tiles and so we have a mat and at the end everyone cleans their mat and she was having trouble getting down to clean the mat and she sort of said oh can you do it for me and I said you know what I can but if you don't start doing it you're never going to be able to do it like it's just going to keep getting worse, your lack of flexibility and your fear, if that's what it is, a fear of you're going to topple over or whatever. So get down there. Mm. Give it a go. And she, and, you know, and she did it. And in a space where someone can help you if, you know, you do yeah. lose your balance. Like you don't yeah. want that to happen on your own at home where exactly. no one can help you up. Exactly. And then the next time she came in, it was great because at the end she just went over and, and she just did it. And then she said to me, I cleaned the mat, I just did it. And I said, yeah, you can do it. 
You know, I think a lot of the time it's a mental barrier rather than a physical barrier. You've been kind of talking about like the traditional style and the integrative style. Mm -hmm. Is it quite common that teachers do adapt the styles? Is that something that's kind of celebrated or is there a little bit of controversy around? There's a little bit of controversy. And, And actually there's quite a bit of controversy around like this integrative approach. Like there's a lot of purists. It's funny, there's a Facebook group. I can't remember. It's like just called Chiglung or it's called something that I, I don't recall but often you'll see people get on big rants and there's also there's a funny it's not funny it's like a dad joke about this so it's like how many Chiglung masters does it take to screw in a light bulb and they all say well a hundred one of them to screw in the bulb and 99 to tell him he's not doing it right <laughs> so it's just like this Every master believes that his way is the way. Oh, because there are so many diverse lineages and different styles. So it's kind of like my way is the way and you should be doing it my way. And as I said, also I think some of the controversy with the integrative approach is that Qigong is traditionally a practice of mastery, as I mentioned, that you dedicate hundreds of hours to. So there's just that difference I guess, in approach with integrative chiggling, you can come for an hour and enjoy that experience and enjoy a way of practicing. And others would say, well, we, you're not, you're not, de- you know, you're not mastering it. You're not dedicated and that kind of thing. So there is a little bit of, uh, and I have actually personally been through phases where I f- have felt kind of just maybe like a bit uncertain about what I'm offering, like I'm a fraud or something. Just that uncertainty or lack of confidence in what I'm doing at a time. No, I don't feel at all that way anymore, but I've been through a phase in my very short career of teaching Qigong where I did feel that way. And I wondered about those aspects, what's right, what's wrong. And then the conclusion I came to is that Qigong has so many amazing health benefits. And I just feel like what is more important is sharing that with people rather than being archaic and stuck in the past. If you just think, I think the statistics up near 70 or more percent of people die from non-communicable diseases now in the world. So that's 70% of our population dying from preventable illness. If Chibun can help those people... I feel like we should be giving it to them. Or even just help people with stress. And, yes, you know, yeah, stress like is their day to day life. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of got over that. And also, I think maybe because then I, I did go and have my classical training and I really developed a, a real appreciation for the classical form. And I actually personally really love that. So I feel like maybe now that is maybe what has soothed me. I sort of feel like I've done the classical. It's continuing, like a continuing practice. Like you're still honouring that tradition. Yes. Yeah. And so I feel more confident, I guess, in, in what I'm doing in the integrative Qigong world. I mean, I'm a white woman who teaches yoga, so there's this other layer as well. Like it comes from another culture, mm. and I don't want to appropriate from that without being respectful. Do you mm-hmm. ever get a little bit of that with Qigong? No, I don't really have any issues with that. I guess, you know, there is those elements to consider. Mm, Like there's definitely a very vocal Facebook community as well around these issues and around things like chanting and, you know, maybe people getting like inappropriate tattoos or there's like a whole lot of like, and sometimes the line really depends on who's, you know, like not everyone has the same, this is fine, 
that's appropriate. Yeah, like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think it's just most important to be authentic in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming from the right place in yourself and what you're offering, then I think that you then just honour that. And that that's, tradition. Yeah, yeah. 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 And definitely like, like it's funny sharing it because you want to help people is very, you know. It just feels so good. It's like, why would you keep this from people? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Why would you make them learn it in a way that's so rigid and not friendly to our modern lifestyles, particularly in the West? You well, know? especially if people are not even finishing the course that they signed up for yeah. and paid for, then, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Something's yeah. not quite working. And also I think the other part of it is is that people are not necessarily ready in a mental and emotional way for a class classical practice because when you slow down and in classical qigong you slow right down all of your stuff your mental and emotional angst all is there for you to look at and a lot of people don't want to look at that and it's when you just when you really slow down most people keep themselves busy to avoid stuff in their lives so when you go into a practice like classical qigong, you can't avoid stuff anymore. And a lot of people, they don't want to look at it. So they're not ready. And I guess if you're feeling a bit insecure and anxious about things and it's a practice that's very much about getting things perfect, that could be a little bit disheartening yeah. as well, well if you just feel like you're failing at that as well. Yeah, it could, yeah. It could bring up those emotions. I guess the integrative form is more physically engaging. There's more change. In a class, for example, you might do... 20 movements whereas in a classical tubule you do maybe six or eight you know so you're more physically engaged more mentally I guess even mentally engaged so you don't necessarily have that confrontation of emotion that you might have if you were to go into classical well you can just kind of like have the flow of the movement to keep you present well yeah so it's a mindfulness practice in that you're putting your attention on the movement and your breath right so in mindfulness traditions, particularly, let's think about um, stillness-based mindfulness, that can be very confronting for people because they're keeping their physical body still. They're trying not to think. Like that's sometimes their approach. I'm trying not to think. And all of their, all of their emotions and thoughts are just, it's like when you say, don't think about an elephant. Everyone <laughs> can, all they can think about is an elephant. So when you're doing a seated or stillness practice of mindfulness or presence, it can be very confronting. And I guess Qigong, you can put your attention on something. You're not just sitting, you're moving and you're very present with the movement and that can be your your focus. I just feel like a lot of people struggle with the idea of being still and meditating. Mm. So it's really just a moving meditation. Your, your anchor for the meditation is the movement and the breath rather than just the sitting and the breath. Do you adapt your practice like for the seasons? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I teach integrative Qigong is a seasonal practice. And you can do all kinds of things. As I said before, one of the things I love is there's a real scope for creativity in programming your integrative Qigong. But typically what I teach on a week-to-week basis is seasonal. So in Chinese medicine, everything, or in Chinese philosophy, everything's interwoven right it's not a mechanistic view it's a holistic view so each season is connected to an element each element is connected to a meridian network and organ system in the body so for example at the moment we're doing an autumn practice connected to the lungs and the large intestine that's the metal element so for the whole season 
we work with a series of movements that come from classical Qigong. They're generally made a little bit easier for people. So maybe that level of detail is not quite there, but a lot of the moves are still tricky and they're chosen based on their classical function. So, you know, there's certain movements that are for the lungs, for example. And then we just sort of slide through the seasons, like mm. we work our way through with the seasons and change. And obviously we're about to go to winter, so we'll start working with the water element. And and then there's other things you can do. So, for example, sometimes I run a, I'll call it like a masterclass. That's Qigong practices for sleep. So things that you can do. One of the research outcomes for Qigong is improved sleep. So there's all these kind of things that you can do that help with sleep. So sometimes I run a class that's sort of centered around that or, you know, like with a little theme. Yeah, great. And like something practical that people can use. Yeah, well, that's how I kind of decide what I'm going to do. Recently, a few students have gone, oh, you know, telling me about their sleep issues. And I'm like, oh, we could do a class for sleep stuff. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. Try and help people out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you find that a lot of your students do their own practice at home or do they mainly just come to class? They usually start with coming to class and then they slowly want to do things at home. Because like having something like the sleep one, that's so practical. Mm. Like you've got that real like, oh, I'm struggling to get to sleep. Well, I can just do my little sequence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But often... After people have been coming for a while, once they become a chi junkie, they start coming once or twice a week to class and then they start asking questions like, oh, what what could I just do for a few minutes at home, you know, those type of questions. Is that the kind of stuff you put on your YouTube? Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that. I just try to just put like short little very unprofessional iPhone videos on my YouTube of me doing various moves so people can try them out at home. And what, what some students do, particularly the ones that have been practicing for a while, they'll just start joining them together. You know, they'll just learn a few and they'll create their own little sequence. Yeah, and if you're doing, like, say, the autumn moves, like, for the season, like, three months is a good chunk of time to really kind of get a movement in your body well enough to be exactly. able to practice it on your exactly. own. And, you know, I say to people, you know, think about it like you would if you were learning classical Qigong is that you're mastering this. So over the course of the season, every time you come to practice, your intention is to perfect what you're what you're doing. You know, so you might not at the workshop where you first learnt the movements, you might not feel very confident, but you've got three months or however long to work on it. Mm, I think like a short video can be really helpful with that as well because sometimes people they actually do know the movement in their bodies. But there's a little stumbling block to practicing on their own at home. So just having like that little bit of guidance Mm -hmm. reminds them that they actually do know the movement. You've already touched on how you feel Qigong is a lot more inclusive and accessible to people than yoga perhaps is. Do you feel that there's any other benefits that could help people that are already practicing or perhaps even teaching yoga? I think that, and, and I think this is already happening, that quite a few people are integrating Qigong into their yoga offerings. And same with their meditation. People that are teaching meditation are starting to bring some Qigong. And a lot of people that come to do my training, that's kind of their intention. Not all of them want to teach Qigong every week kind of thing, but they want to integrate it into what they're doing. And sometimes I've even had yoga teachers tell me that they just taught a whole class of Qigong without even telling anyone it was Qigong. <laughs> they just, Weave it in. just went mm-hmm. with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's happening, yeah. People are sort of integrating them, them together. And I think, as you said before about so many different styles of yoga, people want to try different 
approaches, right? So I think there's opportunity to kind of mm, definitely I think bring as well, them together. Like um, how you mentioned, a lot of people just want to have some new things that they can bring into their meditation practice, mm. and the kind of movement meditation practice is it's a really lovely bridge from complete stillness mm. to just gentle mindful movement that maybe yeah. you can do sitting or as a standing meditation. Yeah. And also I just think that we're so sedentary as a culture and we we need to be moving more, you know, so why not do moving meditation? I also wanted to ask you about the sensory meditation workshop that I saw that you oh, ran. Yeah. So I did my, you mentioned Gula Foundation Institute. I went and did my mindfulness-based stillness meditation teacher training there. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that's obviously stillness-based mindfulness. And then, you know, I was already into the Qigong. And then I I was really drawn to sound meditation. I'd always, even from being a teenager, the idea of the crystal bowls and the Tibetan bowls had always interested me. And I started to get into, initially into sound meditation. So as I was going through this journey of into Qigong, I started to get, you know, get this interest in sound and I started to run these sound meditation events that went for a couple of years. So we'd do one every four to six weeks for a couple of years. And what would happen is I would, I would collaborate with other musicians and I was not musically minded. Like I've never played an instrument, but I've always kind of been interested in sound as a way to meditate. So initially when I started these events, my role was kind of to guide the meditation aspect and the musicians that I brought in would do the sound. But over the two years, I just kept buying instruments and starting (laughs) to contribute myself to making the sound. So I got really into using sound as an anchor for meditation. And then I sort of started to just, you know, because the principle of Qigong is this presence and presence with everything. And it's like mindfulness. You're, You're not practicing mindfulness for the practice you're practicing it so that you're mindful in your whole life that you're present in your moment to moment life so I just started to think about how it would be great to present mindfulness and presence in a sensory way right so give people the experience of mindfulness using their senses so I just developed this little workshop and it's based on stillness we use qigong we use sound but also I've brought in scent so we use, you might have heard of Orosoma. It's a color and scent product. And you can also just use things like herbs and essential oils and also taste. So we have this sort of mindful tea experience and mindful eating experience and also touch. So holding things and really just being curious about the sensation of this this thing, usually we do with, with our eyes closed. So it's, it's basically this workshop that brings together all these little activities that are based around the senses as a way to practice presence. It's fun, right? Yeah. 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 So how long does it. it go for? <laughs> Usually it's just like a couple of hours. It sort of depends on the size of the group. Yeah. So it might go for a bit longer if it's like a bit lots group. of people yeah. need to sip the tea and touch the <laughs> thing. It takes a bit longer. Yeah. And also my style of facilitation is quite sort of interactive. So sometimes we go off on a tangent and talk about things and it's kind of has a social, I like to bring in a social element to what I offer, not just my workshops, but also my classes, because I just feel like we're lacking in real life ex- mm-hmm. interactions with people. So 
while we're together, let's not just do a sound meditation and go home and not talk to anyone while we're there mm. or Qigong or anything. Let's actually bring people together to interact and have a real sense of connection with one another mm. while we are in real life. And it's together. like, this is not just a separate thing. And then you go back to the rest of your life. This yeah, can be this, part of your life. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And the practice of Qigong is the same, like uh, I just described mindfulness. The idea is not to come and practice presence through qigong for an hour and then go back to your life the idea is that box (laughs) yes the idea is that you're practicing for a reason the reason is to take that into the rest of your life you think about a musician they don't practice just for the hell of it they practice you know like a professional musician or an athlete they practice for a bigger reason you know so it's the same kind of approach and I see that you teach at schools as well yeah so fun I've been doing for the past few years a program of qigong with preps that would be so oh my god they're adorable and it's not the same type of experience obviously as coming to like one of my classes because we try to have fun but it's all about getting them to understand that they have this energy inside of themselves and it's important to shake it up but it's important to let it flow around. It's also important to let it settle. And so it's kind of like this, it's educational, but it's fun. And it's, you know, so we practice Qigong and making it integrative even more, Mm. you know, like we change the names so they're kid friendly and, and they, you know, they just love it. It's like they're, they're actually, they know innately that this is good. just the way they gravitate to it. So it's super fun. And I actually would love to be doing more schools. I'm happy to do any age, but the little kids are super fun. (laughs) I'm often surprised as well. I don't teach that many little kids, but often I teach high school kids. And they can be a bit crazy at the start of the class. I do yoga with them. Mm -hmm. So usually I've got to do some strong yoga practice to just channel that energy. Mm -hmm. But then by the time they get to meditation, like they can go really deep and do a 20-minute meditation session that I don't usually even do in my adult classes. Mm -hmm. It's like young brains are really adaptable or maybe they're more in tune with that natural state of being completely immersed in something Mm, i think as well they're they're, they're just so overstimulated and especially kids right you know with all our electronics and and just everything i i just feel like they they probably just really need it they don't even realize how much they need it so by the time they get to the meditation part or the, the the stillness part it's just their body's just loving it they're just lapping it up you know and they don't even really it's not like an intellectual conscious thing it's more of a subconscious just needing and knowing that this is good i really notice the difference as well when you teach at different times of day like when i have that last session of the day like they're so zonked by the rest of their day they just want to lie down for the whole time interesting yeah yeah i don't really notice a lot of contrast between i'm just thinking on my classes in terms of morning or evening usually evening there is this sense of very yin people i think maybe people's tiredness comes out whereas qigong is generally quite energizing like you might feel a bit spacey after you come out of the stillness but then as soon as you sort of move into your day you're energized right so i think more in the evenings and i actually say this to people don't overstimulate yourself now it's eight o'clock at night or it's 8 30 or nine just go home just slide into bed and allow this to set the tone for your evening so there is a little little contrast there just to detour 
back to teaching at schools, oh, yeah. which I guess is totally applicable to teaching adults as well. Do you have any strategies or things that you just notice working really well when, say, everyone's energy is really scattered or everyone is really tired? You kind of get that energy flowing again. I'm not usually having to deal with people. There doesn't seem to be an issue with people being tired as in, as in that's a problem. Yeah. But there are times where I can sense the energy, collective energy, and it might be quite scattered. Or even if there's just one or two people that are not really there, you can sense that their attention's outside of themselves. My style of teaching is very verbal. So I use a lot of verbal cues. So I just try to soothe people with what I'm saying. And I try to just pick up on whatever's going on in the group. And really the words will be directed at those people. And and you might not even necessarily know who it is, but you just sense it. So I just try to soothe the group verbally. That tends to be my technique. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes things I do is I might not stay with a movement for very long if I feel like people are agitated. I, I just kind of tend to go and change into the next move. And, and sometimes I might even move a little bit more quickly through the sequence and and sometimes that means I sort of have to be a bit ad hoc and just go I'm going to add this in here because I feel like this would work really well for the group so yeah I just I guess I'm just intuitive mm-hmm. with it and try to see perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your teacher training after I went and did the the Lee Holden integrative training I went over there twice and I just felt like we needed to have something domestically because it's all cost a lot of money to go to the States and yeah. do that training. And also I, I kind of felt like, I don't know what that program is like now because this was quite some time ago, but I kind of felt like there's a difference between learning Qigong as an immersion and learning Qigong in order to teach other people Qigong. So I feel like with a teacher training, you have to teach, you have to give people skills and concepts and frameworks for them to teach. So you're teaching them how to teach. You're not just teaching them Qigong. So there's a there's a difference. So I wanted to offer something that was the idea is that it's the beginning. Module one is like a three day training. So obviously people say to me, oh, you know, can I be a Qigong teacher in in three days? No. You cannot. Well, you can teach someone what you've learned over yeah, that eighteen hours. Your friends. Yeah. yeah. Or you could even run a like there. Is, there are options. You could run a class, or like you might present it like a, a masterclass, like a workshop kind of format, where you teach using the skills that you learned in that weekend. But basically, you're not going to become a chugung teacher after eighteen hours. Like that's ridiculous. But I guess the idea with the teacher training was to give people somewhere to begin. And, you know, if you wanted to teach like I do seasonal classes, then you have to amass a lot more hours of training and skills, you know, movements in your toolbox, so to speak, in order to do that. But it depends on what you want to do with it, because like we were just talking about earlier, there's yoga teachers that maybe want to just bring some chikung into their their classes, or there's meditation teachers that want to do the same. So Doing a three-day training for them, they sort of get maybe enough, at least to begin with, to sort of integrate it in. So the idea with the program was just to give people a a place to begin. And I really wanted to honour 
the classical traditions of the practice. So we spend sort of the first day or half a day on the first day really understanding where Qigong comes from and what are the basics and fundamentals and what are the like things we've talked about today, like the differences between the practices and the approach and all of that underpinning information, like make sure that people really understand that. And also I like to really impress upon people that want to teach Qigong, particularly integrative Qigong, is that we need to honour the essence of the practice. So, you know, I said before how there's that intricate, differentiated, precise movement. It's great to bring that into the integrative practice, maybe not at the same level of detail, but just remembering that that's what this practice is about. And if you're not doing it, if you're not teaching or instructing it in that way, then I feel like you're kind of not really teaching Qigong. That's, let's face it, the really the core or one of the cores I feel like there's probably two or three core, <laughs> core elements to it so and especially like if you're teaching it in a course like maybe the first time you show the person the movement it would be the broad strokes but then week after week that's when you could gradually refine those exactly. details yeah and so the other idea was so I basically teach in my first module of teacher training I teach the form that Lee Holden teaches to you the first form he teaches to you which is an integrated five element form and the idea is that I want the, after the three days the people to really know that form and its details. Although there's not maybe as many, it does still have those those details and those intricacies. So making sure that those people after the three-day training really feel like they get it because I don't really want them to then go out and teach it to someone else and not be teaching the essence of it, which is all the details. And yeah, if they're going to teach a course, you know, one of the suggestions I've had for people is maybe they could teach like a four-week course on this particular integrative form. And so the idea would be like a cumulative thing every week that you're refining your practice of it and you're perfecting it, kind of like you would with classical chibble. Do you have an assessment at the end of the course? No, or? no. It's more I, I just give people a certificate of participation and I just I just encourage people to just contact me and there's a little community now of teachers that have been through the program and it's just really lovely because we're all connected we've remained connected and sometimes we get together for trainings and and if the opportunity arises other more social things so I think rather than assessment I just like the idea of having this little support network for the mm, teachers definitely yeah. and I guess that's kind of saying rather than being like yes this is the end of the course you're done kind of going this is the beginning that's and right. like, let's stay in touch and yes, continue to learn yes yes definitely this is the beginning you know and, and as I said for some, for a lot at least half of the participants it, it's kind of the end like they don't need anymore because they're not planning on teaching every week chicken classes you know they're just planning on putting it in like there's a lady that does mindful hiking so she's just integrated that into her hikes, you know. So she doesn't really need to know any more Qigong. She's, for now at least, she's good, you know. Or she could just come back to one of your master classes or something. Yeah, yeah. and like learn a bit more when, when the time's right. So I say to people, your ability to teach and share Qigong is only really dependent or limited to your interest and your passion for it. Because I don't think if you're not passionate about it, you just... I don't think they're really going to be excited about your classes if you're not excited about it. Exactly, right? So, so 
if you're really into it, then you're going to want, like this has been my experience, I just want more and more. I, I want more practices. I want to learn more about it. I'm inspired to it. So I think then if that's how you feel about it, then you're inspiring for others. So it's not like a degree that you get and once you've got it, it's yours forevermore. Qigong, being a teacher of Qigong or an instructor or a facilitator is, I think, really about the enthusiasm and the level of interest and the passion that you have for it. It must be kind of a challenge. I know I have this with anti-gravity where I'm one of the more senior teachers in Melbourne. So who do I go to when I want more inspiration and more ideas? I do have that issue. Quite often masters will come to Australia. But to be really honest, I kind of get a little bit frustrated. I was talking about this this morning with some students that sometimes it's like they don't really want to tell you stuff. They just kind of, or or they don't really want to share the practice, but they want to talk a lot about it. So I get a little bit frustrated going to things like workshops that end up being just someone talking at me for two days rather than us actually getting in. Because for me, the, the practice is the experience of it. And that's so, like, like someone talking. You can watch that on a YouTube video, no problem. But like practicing at a group, that's something you can only get at that workshop. Yes, yes, exactly. And so there's lots online these days. So I've tapped into a few different people that are teaching online related things. And I've sort of used that as for my own growth. And I do sort of keep my eyes open about people that are coming or people that are offering Qigong that's different to what I offer. So you can just go to a so class. I, yes, yeah. so I can just go and, and experience it. And then I love the idea of traveling and going overseas and doing more Qigong. So next year I'll go back to China. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Another side of being a Qigong teacher or a teacher of anything, mm-hmm. as well as staying inspired, you run a studio, you run teacher trainings, you run retreats. How do you kind of manage your own energy levels? And have you got any self-care strategies that really work for you that you want to pass on? Okay, so I've got a lot of energy, which is great. I'm very motivated and driven and enthusiastic. Like I don't have a problem in getting things done. Like I don't need someone. I'm not internally motivated. I'm not externally motivated. So I'll just go for it. But you're right, this experience of having my own studio and opening it and it's been quite stressful and there's been many little mini breakdowns that have happened. I follow the teachings of Abraham, which is the Esther Hicks Law of Attraction teachings. So I find it really helpful to listen to those teachings and apply them as best I can. And one of the core concepts of those teachings is we're supposed to feel good and to follow what feels good and not to be too action oriented. So it's about getting in alignment, which the teachings just match into Qigong so well, because when I do Qigong, I feel like I'm in alignment. Like I feel clarity and purpose and alive and inspired from which is from doing my practice. Right. So the idea I guess is, we're quite action oriented in our lives. Like we, we were always doing stuff. We feel like we need to do all this stuff. So I just try to not get too busy and remember that I need to be in alignment because like I do believe that when you're in alignment with yourself, then the right opportunities and people and circumstances just present themselves. Like things are drawn to you and things just work 
for you. And so it's part of that saying no to things. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it's just going, does this feel good? Do I want to do this? No. Okay. Don't do it. Just not getting wrapped up in action. You know, I have to do all this stuff. I've got all these things on my list that I need to get through today. Yeah. No. Do Like, how do I feel? Do I feel good? Because I'm not going to do any of that stuff unless I feel good. So if I'm not feeling good, if I'm feeling like tense and stressed, then I'm going to go do my practice. Right? And then I'm going to do whatever's left. Whatever time I've got left, I'm going to do what needs to be done. Like I went through a little phase recently where I just went, oh, I'm just not going to go near the computer for a few days. A few days turned into four or five days. I, I still kind of went there, but I didn't get into anything deeply. And I just did my gardening and I did some painting and some stuff around my studio like that needed to be done. And it felt really good. So I just, I guess what I'm saying is I'm practicing doing what feels good and which means doing my practice as often as I can and not feeling pressured to get the things on my list done because like let's face it the list is never going to end oh yeah there's always more stuff going on that <laughs> exactly yeah. so I just kind of remind myself I'm never going to get there so and and most of the time all of that stuff is not that important yeah and the stuff greatest you've written on there yourself things. that you've yes, you're putting you've the, set for yourself exactly yeah. so it's more important to feel good so that also might mean I just go to the movies or I go and hang out with my friends or pat my cat or I don't know, <laughs> whatever. So I guess it's just tapping into feeling good is my main self-care. Yeah, that sounds great. Practice. <laughs> what you mentioned about doing a few jobs in your studio and your gardening, I actually find that serves me really well. Sometimes even if you're worried about, say, not enough people are booking into my classes. I find if I give my studio a really good clear out, like more people show up yeah. and you just feel better being in that space as yeah, well. And there's not all these like niggly little annoying things that you want to deal with at some stage that you're not getting around to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the law of attraction, but the idea is that there's everything is on one end or the other end of a stick. So for example, that example you've just used, like I don't feel like I've got enough students you're not actually focusing in that moment on getting more students. You're actually focusing on the fact that you don't have enough students. So your attention is on the lack. So the law of attraction teachings would say, you're not going to get any more students if you're focusing on the lack. So go and do your cleaning and take your release that resistance, that thought, that energy you're holding. Do your cleaning or do your gardening or pat your cat or whatever, right? And get out of that mindset of lack. And then the idea is that the people will just come. And I've actually had that experience several times, particularly in these last few months where I've just been a bit like, it's a lot of people coming, I need to do something. And then I just go, no, just don't do anything. Just get away from, get out of that mindset and get out of that feeling and do what feels good. What can I do that feels good? It's not, it's counterintuitive because we have been conditioned to do stuff. So when we're feeling like, oh, I don't have enough students in my class, we're inclined to do more stuff, send more emails, do more advertising, you know, like call people, mm. try to make it happen. I find as well if I'm in that state of mind, being on social media and being on the internet is not helpful. No. <laughs> that's what is the worst time yeah. to be online. So, so yeah, I guess that's my, my self-care. Oh, let's jump into picks of the week. So my pick of the week, it'll be a few weeks before this episode comes out. 
But my pick of the week, Childish Gambino's song, This Is America, has just come out. And the video is amazing. And it's actually just suddenly become a bit of a mini obsession for me. I yeah, it's get been these... played a lot around our house. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite graphic. So maybe don't watch it directly after your meditation session when you're really open to things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it says some like really powerful things, though, that I think yeah. need to be said. Yeah, it does say some really powerful stuff about the state of America and how African-Americans are treated. And I feel like there's so many layers to it, culturally, the music, the action of the video. So, I don't know, if you haven't seen it by the time this episode comes out, you should definitely do so. So my pick of the week is pretty random. We bought a new kitchen gadget. We bought a mandolin because um, Ryan's got a pretty sensitive digestive system. And he found out he can eat all of these other vegetables raw if they're just sliced up finely enough. Things like red cabbage. So I'm not sure if this is going to pan out, but my dream is that we will just slice up heaps of vegetables. And then over the next few days, it will be so easy to put a bit of extra cabbage or carrot or cucumber in our wraps wow. or in our salads like we'll just be in the fridge like a cafe ready to yeah, go it sounds like a great way to incorporate more vegetables into your mm-hmm. even if you don't have sensitive digestion yeah especially like something like a red cabbage i am notorious for buying one and getting through like a quarter of it at best but i think if it's all sliced and ready just to go really chuck it in your salad yeah mm-hmm. chuck it in your wrap well my pick of the week i'm skipping over winter so we're just going to pretend it's not happening here. <laughs> and I'm going to go and uh, straight into spring and share with you my spring Qigong workshop. It's on September the 16th. 16th. Thank you. And it's a Sunday. And the idea of the workshop is that you learn a little sequence. It's integrated Qigong. So it's kind of the more modern approach. You learn a little sequence that's themed around spring. So spring is about the liver in the body. It's related to the liver and the gallbladder. And it's related to like upward movement. You know, in spring, everything starts shooting and blooming and there's this little new growth, right? So uh, the practice is around that theme. And it's just a, it's a three-hour workshop, but in the workshop, you sort of learn all the all the concepts related to Chinese medicine and spring. And then you also learn like a little sequence. So usually it's about eight or nine moves that all kind of sit together. They flow together and they create this little sequence that you can do at home in the morning or in the evening, sort of as a home practice. Oh, great. And so would that be suitable for people who've never come to a Qigong class before? Yeah, you can. It's probably better if you've come to a class before. And what I also offer for new students is these little sort of mini one-on-ones just started doing these actually they're really cool so if you book into a class and you've never been to a class before I contact you and I say hey I noticed that you're new to Qigong so maybe you want to come in half an hour earlier and we'll sit down and I'll tell you all the a lot of the stuff we've talked about today right so people kind of understand more about the practice so then they can get more out of it and also if people have certain personal stuff going on that they are potentially coming to Qigong for if they want to share that with me then I can maybe direct them and how they can get more out of the practice so while you can come to the workshop just straight off people have done it before no experience straight in it can be a bit overwhelming right so I kind of would maybe recommend at least one class and maybe one of those little one-on-one things with me so you can find out more about it first. And so I guess that's another question. Uh, with your classes at your studio, mm-hmm. which we'll link to, can people just do drop-in classes? Yes. Yeah. So there's most of the classes are just drop-in classes. So the casual is the most expensive option, and there's also passes. So it's a bit cheaper if you buy a five-pass or a ten-pass. But most of the classes on the timetable are just that drop-in nature. And then I run the classical courses, so you have to commit to that for the course. 
And then there's these things like these little workshops and little masterclasses and other little things that happen as well. Great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm, yeah, excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. I've learned heaps about Qigong. Awesome. So, I'm yeah. glad to share it with you guys. Yeah, I definitely I actually do want to do I that. I want to go to your spring workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking that question for me. <laughs> You'll probably find for you it would be okay because you've got a background in movement. Mm, I have done a few Qigong yeah, courses yeah, as yeah. well, but yeah. Yeah, but sometimes people come and they're just like, too much they're raw they've never done it before and it's the first experience and it's a, like it's a sort of bit of overload yeah you don't really get to the meditative state where there's just too much information coming exactly. out of you. like they still tend to have an enjoyable experience but i think if you really want to get the most out of it it's better to maybe just do a couple of classes and sort of get that little familiarity with it so that was our conversation with Nicole and I really appreciate learning from people from different backgrounds and teaching different different types of modalities and I think exploring different modalities can add a lot of richness to our practice and can even be a way to help avoid overuse injuries. So I really encourage you to perhaps try out Qigong or some other movement or meditation modality. Alright, next episode we have Sarah Harry, psychotherapist, yoga teacher, researcher, university lecturer and author of Fat Yoga. She is an accessible yoga activist and extremely passionate about body positivity. It's a great conversation, it is absolutely fantastic and we also have a signed copy of Fat Yoga to give away so look out for that in two weeks time. As always, the theme song in this podcast is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and used with permission. Do yourself a favor and get his music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. I'll be back with you in two weeks. Big, big love.